Another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Ooh. Jim Bob Foley, holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop with the King's Herald Barbershop. You're listening to the King's Herald Show. It's a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. As always, I'm your host, Will Griffith. And with me today, writer for the King's Herald, my co-host, Tony Zipteris. Tony, how's it going on this Monday? Will, it's going pretty good. I think we're about a month away from uh, some preseason basketball. So we got maybe one more one more podcast without King's News, and then we'll get into some, to some real nitty-gritty basketball talk. But I'm excited to spend an hour with you and Jerry tonight. Always excited to spend an hour with you and Jerry. He's uh, he's a former Sacramento Kings head coach, GM and color analyst, GM of a WNBA champion, Indiana basketball hall of famer. He's the true pride of French Lick, Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, as always, it's an absolute pleasure to have you. How's it going? Oh, it's great. Always great to be with you, Tony, especially uh, get a chance to talk a little basketball and uh, obviously talk about uh, some thoughts from uh, our uh, friends at uh, Kings Herald. So uh, the world's good. Absolutely. The world is good when we get to talk basketball. So um, we have very little in the way of Kings News these last two weeks. We are, uh, again, going to be dragging ourselves through the, the desert towards the oasis. That is the, uh, the preseason that comes up in about a month. But uh, we do have a couple of little things that I wanted to touch on and see what you guys thought about. Um, the Kings got their uh, the 2023 schedule released. Uh, the, the, you know, not much in the way of highlights other than the Kings start of the season with games against uh, the Trailblazers at home which is the first time since 2018 we've had a, a true season opener at home. And then they followed that up with the Clippers at home, uh, away against the Warriors, at home against the Grizzlies, home against the Heat, and then away against the Hornets. So the first four of the six games are at home. Guys, uh, this is one of those things that you can look at the schedule and you can prognosticate, oh, 43 wins, you can book this one, or oh, 30 wins, you can book this one too. Um, the fact of the matter is that we're playing the same 29 teams we do every year. It's the same 82 games as everyone else. The rim's still 10 feet tall. Three-point line is still 22 feet in the corners and 23 feet, nine inches everywhere else. Do you guys have any takeaways at all from uh, looking at the schedule when it was released? Anything that you guys noticed that you that you could you thought, hmm, this, this is interesting? Well, the only thing for me is that, uh, you know, and I've said this 100 times, but, uh, you know, it is 41 at home, 41 on the road, except for the Lakers and the Clippers. They have 43 home games. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I always start off every year a little pissed off just because of that. But, uh, but you're, but you're, I mean, you know, uh, I always say the, the thing about you have stretches where you're going to have some tough, tough games, you know, uh, like certainly the start of the season, although you're at home. So uh, that should make it, you know, if you're not, if you're ever going to beat those teams early in the year is the time to do it. Some of those teams. So, uh, but yeah, Hey, hey you're going to have tough stretches. You'll have some easier stretches. And so will everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. Tony, what about you? Yeah, I think my schedule takeaway, and, and Jerry, you are you are fortunate to not have to, to see the schedule released this way, but uh, this year the schedule release was crazy. I feel like um, on Twitter you had every Kings reporter releasing the schedule like game by game, matchup by matchup, and it was kind of an infuriating release process from the NBA. So I guess my note would be uh, let's just drop the schedule all at once please. And, and not have to do this like month long game where people are saying, Oh, the Kings are playing the jazz on, uh, you know, November 31st or what has there even 34 days, 31 yeah. days in November, probably not. Um, but the schedule release the NBA do better, do better is my takeaway. Just give us the schedule. 
or don't give us the schedule, but this way where reporters are leak, leaking specific games for the for like a month of the summer is just a waste of time. I'm one of those people that I, I can I can find a conspiracy theory in anything that I look at. And uh, it's one of those things that uh, I had no take on the schedules kind of or whatever. But there was one thing that kind of stood out. And I think people talked about it online. I missed some of it. But uh, the Kings play the Warriors three times in the first 12 games. And then they don't play them until the second last game of the season. And to me, that kind of like that kind of my spider sense tingles a little bit where I'm like, all right, what's the you know, you could always you can always create something. It was like, are they trying to put us down early? Are they trying to test Mike Brown for, for leaving the, the Golden State Warriors early? Is it one of those things that the Kings will go into the last two games? Like if they win these last two games, they're going to be able to, to make the play in. And it's and it's and then you got the Warriors standing in their way. Like I was trying to figure out which side of the coin I wanted to go on. Like, oh, the Kings are going to earn their way into the playoffs or they're going to get screwed over or the maybe the Warriors will rest their players. So they're really trying to actually help the Kings at the end of the season. I don't know which way I want to follow my conspiracy theory yet, but it was a little strange that the Kings play the Warriors three times in the first 12 games. So that was a weird one to me. Yeah, I wouldn't have any real thoughts there that other than, you know, if the league did actually have some sort of a plan, it could be that, well, uh, if if uh, the Kings are going to be uh, somebody that want, pe- people want to watch early, we better get them. <laughs> and, <laughs> and with Mike Brown, we better get them on with the Warriors too, who everybody sure. wants to see since they're <laughs> defending champions. So, Yes. Uh, that would be the cynic in uh, Jerry Reynolds. <laughs> it, it's certainly not a big thing, but it was a, it was a weird oddity to me in the schedule. Okay. So the only other news that we've got here before we roll on to questions from everybody else was uh, um, um, actually, you know, what, Jerry, I had one more question about this. How crucial is it that the Kings start the season off on the right foot? This is an actual question that I wanted to ask that's basketball related. So we, I'll go back to this one. I do think it's a, you know, it's, it's always important, I think, but but I think it's more so than it has been in a while, and it's been important for a while. But, uh, you know, with the new coaching staff, uh, obviously a terrific uh, rookie that everybody's excited about. Uh, you, people want to see Sabonis and Fox get out of the box, all that sort of thing, the trades. Yeah, I, I think there's a, you know, reason that uh, there's some excitement about uh, the team being better and some reason to hope that. And uh, so that means you better get out of the box better and win some games or, and, you know, I, I'm not saying you got to put a, a certain record up there, but the team needs to play well. Yeah. It, it needs to play well. And, and certainly you can play well and lose to some of these good teams, but, but I, I definitely think they, they've got to come out of the box playing well. And it's, it's also to me, one of those things that uh, the King started last season, five and four. And there was a lot of hype around him. And even I was having to eat a little humble pie. And then uh, turns out I didn't have to eat much humble pie after that because they still only won 30 games that season. So uh, as well, you know, I saw a lot of people kind of going like, oh, the Kings can start 0-5, 0-5. Well, that means about as much as the Kings starting 5-4 and four last year too. The Kings could go 0-5 and, and still end up a play-in team. We saw the, the Pelicans start off absolutely terribly last year and wind up as a play-in team, as a playoff team. And, and so it's one of those things that I, I'm not holding my breath too much. If it's 0-5, they still got a chance to make it. There's a long season there. Yeah, it's a long season. I mean, you know, the Boston Celtics are basically a 500 team for yeah. a significant part of the season and, and had, you know, had a chance to win a championship. Obviously, the Warriors were better and, more, and deserved it. But then, as you pointed out, I think the Pelicans were 1-13 and or something yeah. and ended up winning 39 games. So, yeah, you you know, don't, you shouldn't make too much of it. I mean, I, I think for the Kings, it's – it's probably more important for them for, for just uh, fan 
support reasons because uh, we both we all know that the Kings were the next to last in attendance last year. Yeah. And uh, so, if, you know, if you're going to get the fan base back, you got to give them a reason to come back. Tony, at what point is the sky falling for you this season? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the, the thing to Jerry's point, the fans are excited right now. So it would be important for the Kings to continue. Like they don't have solid momentum. They have not had that very frequently over the last several years. They have that right now, especially in an off season. It's been a while since the Kings had an off season that the fan base was excited for. And they, they did that. Monty McNair did that. So uh, keeping that momentum up uh, in the beginning of the year would be huge. And as far as, you know, when does the sky fall for me, that could be opening night. You know, if they lose by 20, I'll be right there wondering, like, what are we going to do from here? So it is not going to take long for me to, to, to me to be pessimistic and, and concerned that all of this is not going to go well. Kings fan to his core. Yeah. <laughs> Jerry, was there ever a time in your career, either as a coach or a GM or whatever, where you did look at the schedule and go, oh, man, they really shafted us here. Or is there anything that you can remember or where maybe it played to your advantage? You're like, oh, we're going to get off to a good start here. No, you know, I really can't. Uh, I just never really kind of looked at it that way. I mean, because, it, it, you know, that, that's the whole deal. It's, it's so long. And if you just focus on anything more than the next game, uh, I, I think it's a mistake. I mean, I feel like it's kind of like a golfer. You know, you play the next shot, focus on the next shot and uh, try to f- – forget the last shot if you can. And, uh, and that's same to me is like, okay, who do you play first? And then yeah. worry about who you play second when you play, play them. <laughs> that's great. Okay. So, uh, as I was talking about earlier, there's only one other bit of news out of Kingsland and, uh, that's at the Sacramento Kings ownership group, uh, bought the, uh, bought the triple a baseball affiliate here in Sacramento, the river cats, Jerry, are you a big river cats guy. Do you have any opinions on the team and, and stadium being sold for 90 million? I can't say that I am, although I, I think it's uh, I think it's probably a good business move on the part of uh, Vivek uh, Ranadive. I think he's shown a, a lot of business acumen. I don't think there's any question about that and yeah. what the plans are, you know, with the property and the River Cats. And of course, it's also true that the Giants will will run baseball operations. So uh, you know that that's not going to change. Uh, they so what does it mean sports wise? And of course they haven't been very good since the giants took over. I mean, the A's when the A's had them, uh, they drew better and had better teams. So I'm, I'm hoping that whether, you know, that the giants, uh, you know, maybe try to do a little better with their minor league affiliate because it hasn't been very good here of late. Sure. Tony, do you have a, have you ever been to Sacramento? Have you ever been to a, a river cats game when you were here? I have not been to a River Cats game, but I will say I am, again, kind of the, the pessimistic Kings fan that I can be. I am someone who has at many times or have X run, questioned his financial situation. And I don't want to say that this means, you know, he has plenty of money to spend on the Kings because I know he's, he probably didn't fork over, what, $92 million like yesterday. There's probably payments or loans or who knows where he's getting the money from. But uh, this should maybe, at least in my mind, like, I don't know, cancel any concerns about what money Vivek does or doesn't have to spend on this team. And I guess it's one less thing thing for fans to worry about, I guess is how I would put it or how I'm digesting the news as well. If you can spend this much money on a uh, minor league baseball team, then let's not, you know, not pay Bogdan Bogdanovich in free agency or something like that. Like we have the money to afford this. Let's not use that excuse anymore. Yeah, I agree at that point. I mean, because this, this ownership group as a whole is, is extremely well off. I mean, now, I mean, well, you got two or three of the minority owners that are several time billionaires. Uh, I mean, the 
much, much uh, better financially than Vivek. So uh, as a group, at least, uh, the Kings have never been in, with ownership group uh, this, this solid. Yeah, I, I, and I didn't see any problem with, uh, I mean, on the surface, it's the owner of the Kings, you know, a, a team that has been rumored to be relocated more than once. Uh, he's entrenching himself a little bit further into Sacramento, whether that's for, uh, you know, buying the team because he, he wants to buy the team or if it's because there's land to be built upon and, and that whole side of the river can be can be developed into something that Vivek owns. Like, that's a, that's good news for the Kings, too. If Vivek's buying the Rivercats just solely for the for the venue and the team so that he can put hotels and whatever else around there, that's more money for the Kings to spend eventually if it if it bumps up his his wallet a little bit. So I don't see any problem with it on the ownership side, on the development side. You know, uh, part of me goes like, oh, maybe they'll take a run at the A's or maybe if some other other squad becomes available, maybe they try to do it that way. Or, you know, I, I would love to see a second uh, major league team of some sort, you know, professional team in Sacramento at some point. And this is a decent little start to that, even if it's 15, 20 years down the road. That's a that's a nice little feather and Vivix cap for 90 minutes. Yeah, yeah I, I really think it, it could lead. I, I don't know why they you know, the major league soccer hasn't looked on yeah. Sacramento more favorably. And if I were Vivek and, and I, I mean, you, you've got the parking in place out there, uh, you know, it wouldn't take much in the land to put a soccer stadium out there, a 20,000 seats soccer right. stadium. It's kind of like a small version of the, the twin stadiums in Kansas city of uh, Arrowhead and Royal stadium, uh, you know, to, but with the parking available, it's just great for both. And uh, uh, I mean, it'd just be a, to me, it'd be a natural. I, I guess my only advice, if they do try to do it, try to keep Ron Burkle out, if you don't mind. <laughs> Ron's, Ron's overstayed his welcome in Sacramento. He was a, a yeah. near whale and now he's get the hell out of here. Uh, uh, yeah, I think he's, I think he did that whale stuff, I'm not sure about it. Might yeah. Be, yeah. He's, he's toyed with us twice. Not again. You're not again. Maybe a, maybe a and not a sperm whale. He may be a killer whale. I don't know. <laughs> Either way, I'd, I'd rather see his pot of, of wh- go go somewhere else. Go down the beach, yeah. anyways, because we don't need to see or smell you. So okay, well we are uh, we are uh, again sitting here in 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 the summer. We are uh, we are previewing what we what we do on Patreon once a month. Uh, Tony, Jerry, and I we we roll on down to Patreon and ask any questions that fans might uh, might might take a gander at asking us. Um, we've collected some today for you, uh, for you, Jerry, and for you, Tony. And uh, there's some fun ones in here today. Not that there aren't always fun ones, but there's some ones that I, I genuinely went, oh, okay. Let's. I want to see how Jerry answers this one. So, without further ado, we'll, we'll get started here. So, Goat Meal sixty nine asks, who's the most underrated and overrated Kings player that Jerry's ever encountered? Yeah, that, that that's tough. Let me think on that a while. I mean, uh, you know, because you know, overrated. I mean, you, you could have somebody that's six man, but uh, type thing that really shouldn't be a 10th man or, right. or, or underrated. You could have your, you know, somebody considered the best player that, that should be even more than that. So I, I don't know. I mean, I think that there's guys that uh, I would say in my mind, weren't certainly weren't uh, maybe what they were supposed to be uh, uh, considering you know, the attention they got, maybe, I guess it would be kind of a better way of putting it. Uh, and, and I'll say this, uh, probably uh, 
one guy comes to mind and he was really good. Uh, really good is Brian Grant, but, okay. but, you know, and, and I think, you know, and, and I think honestly, he was kind of overpaid uh, the rest of his career after he left Sacramento, but he, it wasn't that he wasn't a really good player, but he was paid like a, like a major star. And I always said it, you know, at the time it was, it was a, really a downer to lose him because he was good. Uh, but the fact they did lose him uh, created the the cap room for Lottie Devots, who was much, much better, so and much more valuable. So, so you know that that's a thought on that. And, and like Brian was a terrific guy, by the way. And uh, so, but but it just seemed like to me, you know, he was, you know, the, the fact that free agency kind of does that. Uh, guys that were underrated, uh, you know, there, there's been so many uh, through the years. Uh, of course, going back to the real old days, uh, Otis Thorpe comes to mind because the team refused to pay him, and, and and you know for some ungodly reason I'll never understand. But several time All Star, uh, and uh, you know probably except for Weber was probably the best power forward the Kings ever had. And uh, I mean you know you could make a case now for some others down the road. So so he was very much underrated in the minds of. Uh, the front office, let's say, uh, I, I think, uh, I, I think, you know, probably in the, uh, another one, I, a player that I think was terrific and never really got the credit here that he deserved, even though everybody thought he was good was Hito Turkoglu. Yeah. Uh, I'm not at all sure Hito wasn't a better player at his prime than Page. I mean, the guy could guard you, could play power forward, small forward, uh, you know, good passer. I mean, really, well, he, he was an all-star level player. And, and I think, uh, you know, due to the depth of uh, talent that the Kings had at that time, he wasn't able to, to maybe show all of it. But I, I just thought, boy, this guy, this guy on another franchise, uh, which we saw with Orlando, I mean, uh, really, really will, will come into his own. And he did. Tony, what about you? Do you have any underrated or overrated Kings players? Yeah, this one was kind of tough because I like, unfortunately, the Kings haven't had so many great players that any of them jump out to me as being overrated. The, the guys who were really good were really good. And I don't know who, but I, I, I guess I would say from the Kings perspective, who I think the Kings sort of overrated. I think the Kings overrated um, some undersized forwards from Houston. Uh, I would say they overrated Chuck Hayes. I think they also overrated Carl yeah. Landry. Um, so I think those are two guys that the Kings yeah. themselves kind of overrated what their impact would be when they got here. And I think, uh, uh, again, like from the Kings perspective, who I think they sort of underrated, I think they, I mean, the biggest underrated job the Kings have made since I've been following this team is Isaiah Thomas. They had their hard line number on what they were going to pay this guy. They did not know what they had in him at all. And they really severely underrated who he was and like what his value would be around the league. Um, Cause it's, it's hard to answer that question from my perspective. Cause it, cause again, the Kings Devon had like this huge group of great players that I could say, this guy was overrated. So I'm kind of looking at that from the Kings perspective and who they underrated and overrated. Well, those are good ones, uh, Tony, way better than what I gave, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and really had time, but uh, you know, Isaiah top of any list has yeah. to be, but you know, I thought of a couple of guys, uh, other couple of guys really overrated uh, was George Hill. And uh, Trevor and Trevor Ariza, uh, in my mind, were guys that just just weren't what what you wanted them to be for sure. Uh, you know, I think uh, 
I honestly think uh, Harrison Barnes has been underrated. Uh, I mean, I mean, you know, people say he's good, but there's there's such a percentage of people that know he's good, but they're always wanting to trade him and and deciding he's not good enough. You know, I always say that's my the old saying, uh, my Tyrone Corbin thought. You know, I mean, a, a really a good player that that everybody knows is good, but you say, well, yeah, we got to get somebody better, and then you spend ten years trying to do that. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking to me, Jerry, specifically, because that's yeah, yeah. Harrison's been my guy. That's like you should trade this well, guy. <laughs> well, and you're right. I mean, you want somebody better. Yeah, but boy, but it's, it, it's it, damn good. It, he's damn good, and it's not that easy. You're absolutely right. <laughs> Uh, the only guy that I mean, you guys took Hito was my first thought, and Isaiah was my second thought, and I I'm happy to 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 co-sign those. I I have one that I think is overrated. I don't think necessarily overrated by the Kings themselves, but by Kings fans, and that's Iman Shumpert. For the last one will. Yes. ever since Iman Shumpert left, mm-hmm. every yeah. single time his name gets brought up in the news, I see somebody going, "Oh, we got to bring Iman Shumpert back. We got to bring the scores back." And, and I, it, it, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills because every time he had two good games, both of them against Oklahoma city, where he scored like 26 and, and 25 points within a month of each other. And then he did absolutely not. He was not an efficient shooter. I, I don't think he guarded all that. Well, I, there was nothing about him that screamed outside of, he gave good vibes in the locker, the locker room liked him. Yep. Uh, the locker room would like a lot of people. And a lot of people mm-hmm. can score better, play more efficient, play defense. It drove me insane. I, I, I'm sure he's a nice guy, but every time I see his his name anywhere on Twitter or on the Kings Herald, there's an immediate burr in my ass about it because I cannot. I, no, Iman Chumpert, leave him alone. He was not that good. That is the answer. Okay. So uh, uh, this this question comes from. Uh, Esmago, and he asked, uh, "What's your favorite television show ever?" Ooh, ah, well, that's that's a good one. I'd probably Seinfeld. Off. Okay. I mean, you know, I, I mean, you know, it's one of those things when it first came out, I didn't watch it, but several then then years later got into you know when it's syndicated, and I've watched probably ever every show three or four times i can i can just about memorize it but i mean george costanza and kramer i mean you know you can't uh, beat those those guys and uh so i think that i mean that still i know my son and i will sit and watch some some occasionally and you know and we, you know you still know what's coming but you just can't help but have a good belly laugh or two so 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 that's you know that's one i you know breaking bad uh you know i, I thought that was you know, a different kind, but it's just fabulous uh, drama kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I, I, like I say, I probably don't watch much uh, network TV anymore like I used to, but, they, you know, and I'm dating myself here, but, you know, MASH, I thought was a great, you know, great series. And, you know, I, I, I enjoyed Friends mainly because I like to look at Jennifer Aniston. So that was, <laughs> so, it's, so I, I don't know, you know, I mean, I just got to, but it's true. That's why. <laughs> so that's, I, I think it's. I think that's a decent reason. I, yeah, we should be an honest, know, Jerry. So, so yeah, try to be honest. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> so I have some thoughts there. I, I mean, obviously, uh, so much of my time, I, I just it's all sports related. You know that. Uh, you know, like 
you know, but, but I mean, there's some of those, that I think in general comedies and lighthearted things, if I'm going to watch network TV, I kind of generally prefer that uh, as I've aged here, my, my favorite is kind of uh, some of the crime shows for cynic or forensic, how you pronounce it. I'm not sure all the, on the, where, where they do all the, it, you know, it's based on real crimes and all that shit. <laughs> So my wife's convinced that I'm trying to figure out a way to do her in. But, <laughs> but uh, are you taking notes, Jerry? Do you have a clipboard while you're doing it? I well, I've learned a lot, but uh, you <laughs> I know, I, the staircase. <laughs> but I, you know, the the truth is, as it goes, I, I kind of kind of want her around more than ever before. Because <laughs> <So>, uh, <laughs> she might be doing it the same thing to you. Yeah, well, she, right. well, she, she might. Uh, you know, I, I would even, if she decided she needed to. I'd say, ah, go ahead. It's good. <laughs> if you feel if you feel like I gotta go, let's go. Let's get it on. Uh, Tony, what about you? Yeah, I'm not trying to copy Jerry, but my answer would have been Seinfeld. Um, wow. I'm watching. I'm going through it right now. I think we're on season five. Uh, watching through it for the, like the tenth time, and it's all I, I don't know. It's such an easy, comforting thing to just throw on. It's you don't have to think about it too hard. Um, so that would be my number one, but just to be a little bit different, I would say the show that kind of changed how I watch TV and like how the level that I can care about characters and plot in a show was lost and lost kind of, uh, lost the thread at the end there, but still for, for what that show was that really like as a, as an adult human being watching that show, like going on forums, figuring out like all the different theories people have reading reviews to a TV show. That was the show that made me do all those things for the first time that I then ended up doing with. Breaking Bad and then Game of Thrones, like those sorts of shows that make you read more after you're done watching the episode. And Lost was the first one that did that for me. I will, I will admit that I haven't watched more than maybe six episodes of Seinfeld in my entire life. They seem like they're though. okay. I've never seen an episode, an episode of Friends. That is just one of. I, I watched like the first ten minutes of one episode. Oh, no, I'm out. I'm out. Seinfeld seems funny. Like I've laughed when I've watched it and things of it. I've just never had the drive to actually get into it. It's the best. So. I will agree with Tony that if if Tony had taken this answer, Lost is my favorite show of all time. It, it for the exact same reasons as Tony, I was obsessed with that show. So I will I will give almost a sequel show in spirit to Lost. There was a TV show called The Leftovers that they put on Great HBO. Damon Lindelof, an absolutely gorgeous show. Mm -hmm. uh, Two percent of the world disappears in an instant, and it's about how the world and the people in this world react to it. And it's heartbreaking, and it is one of the most depressing things you'll ever watch, right up until the point where you've learned you're an entirely different person at the end of it. It's a beautiful show. Carrie Coon deserves every award ever for the rest of time. But my 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 comedy version of Seinfeld for you guys is the Golden Girls. Like I, I will sit uh -huh. down if, if the Golden yeah. Girls is on. I've seen every single episode of the Golden Girls fifteen times, and it will not matter. I will laugh my ass off at those ladies. And, and, and I, I, I am a better person. I think I'm a funnier person. I'm not funny, but I'm a funnier person. I'd be totally <laughs> drab if I had not had Golden Girls in my life. So that, that show didn't my Seinfeld. Yeah, it's a great show. You know, I, I, I was thinking of a couple others. I mean, I, I love The Sopranos. Oh, and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah you know, all, all time great, and uh, and you know, and, and Game of Thrones until the end. And I got, and I'm so mad at it now. I will refuse to watch <laughs> the dragon. I don't care. I'm not going to watch. <laughs> Piss off. Go, <laughs> they, they, you know, they, they, you know, it's like wow. I just was so much into that, and then the way they ended, it's just a yeah. just a disaster. Such a yeah, such a disappointment. But uh, you know, there's you know, so there's, there's you know, when you can find. Uh, 
you know, good, good shows. Better Call Saul was, you know, was one I enjoyed here recently, uh, you know, kind of a lead up to the, tied in with the Breaking Bad, but wasn't the same caliber, but it was very, you know, very good. And so anyway, uh, you know, but I'm like, Tony, I, I really want to be entertained. I don't want to think a lot. Yes. Sure. Especially the older I get, the less I want to think about anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and as far as Golden Girls, I agree with you, Will, except, you know, at my age, I'm just not impressed with Golden Girls. I want young girls to look at. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. We got another. Uh, so we got a question here from a rarefied Levin who asked Jerry, um, who were your favorite assistant coaches and why? Well, yeah, that uh, probably, well, there's several, I guess. I mean, I, I thought the world of, uh, you know, Terry Porter, uh, John Wetzel was terrific. Uh, I'm thinking of uh, Jimmy Ion, who was uh, with Paul Westfall and I've known Jimmy a long time. Uh, trying to think of some, of course, Elston Turner should, should have gotten a head coaching opportunity. I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous, but, you know, he'd been on, on any best list, I think. Uh, you know, and then a the guy I worked with uh, as a, that was an assistant with me, a guy named Willis Reed. Uh, you know, I, I just thought 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 uh, a lot of Willis as a person and coach. And so uh, I could go on. I, I think that's my problem. I've been in the business so long. I know I'll leave out some guys that, uh, you know, don't deserve to be left out. But I mean, Byron Scott, uh, you know, was an assistant with Rick Adelman. And obviously, Pete Carrell. I mean, uh, just marvelous. So, you know, uh, I've just, that's just, and really, I mean, there's uh, some staffs, I would say. I always thought that uh, Dave Yeager and Rick Adelman had the best staffs, mm. you know, t- you know, and without getting into all the names, but I thought the, the, you know, the camaraderie, how each guy fit, uh, I thought was outstanding. And I think uh, equally important was the assistants really filled in the gaps for the head coach, which is kind of what you're looking for and I, I thought you know and of course to, to Dave's credit and, and Rick say they, they utilize those people you know they weren't uh, you know so so I, I would say that I, I definitely think their their staffs were in in my thirty five years plus those would be the two best staffs I've seen. Well, Tony, did you have any uh, assistant coaches that maybe were memorable or your favorite personal uh, assistant coaches? I do, but I I would rather pivot my answer to this question to someone who's in Sacramento right now, uh, Jerry and Will. I don't know if you guys have seen the Kings uh, YouTube series, the run that they're doing that's following the Kings from, you know, the uh, summer league all the way through the rest of the year. Um, but uh, Jody Fernandez has been getting a ton of screen time on this docuseries because he coached the summer league team. And I don't I could not have more stock in Jody Fernandez than I do right now. He seems like an awesome assistant coach, the, the way the guys play for him how he speaks to the players. If he's not a head coach at some point, I would be shocked just the way. And I don't know if Jerry, if you have any relationship with him or knew of him before he arrived in Sacramento with Mike Brown staff, but Jody Fernandez just seems awesome. And if you haven't watched that series, I would definitely recommend people watching that. And then you'll kind of see why he's been my, my new favorite assistant coach, I guess that I've seen in Sacramento in a while. Um, but yeah, Jody Fernandez seems like an awesome, awesome guy. Yeah, I'll try to watch that. I, I really have it. And, you know, in fairness, I really don't have a lot of information on his background. I, yeah. I thought it was interesting that it was uh, clearly it was uh, Mike Brown's first hire 
yeah. you know, so, so that tells you a lot that he, and he had uh, worked with him. So, so there, there's a, that, that's a good, you know, that, that's a good uh, indicator. I have one question about Jordy Fernandez in, in those, that's been a very good series and I've enjoyed watching them, but he, he made, he, there's one phrase that kept going around the, that kept getting shared in it was that he doesn't give four F's about winning. He says this during a, a he was giving a speech to some of the guys before, uh, before summer league that he doesn't give four F's about winning. And uh, to me, the, the phrase has always been, I don't give two F's. And so uh, my, my, this is where my brain went when I watched it. Like, so, so can he still give two F's about winning, but he just won't give four F's about winning because I feel like that's a way of hedging yourself a little bit here that like, if I said, I don't give six F's about winning, I do give two F's about winning, but I don't give four of them. I don't give six of them. So every time I, every time I hear that sound bite, my brain immediately is like, I think he's trying to quietly tell us he does give two F's about winning, but, <laughs> but not just, he just won't go higher than three. Well, <laughs> Jerry, that's all I have to say about Jordan. Well, well, well I was going to say, that's interesting. I hadn't heard that, but I, I'd be willing to bet you this: when he becomes a head coach, he'll give some. He'll give more than four more F's, F's about, about winning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's uh, a great rah-rah moment. It's like he's trying yeah. to he's trying to hype him up. Say it's about it's about building culture sure. and working hard. And you know, if if you do everything the right way, then you you shouldn't give a four F's about winning. But <laughs> yeah, my brain goes. Well, I, well that's like John, the, the old John Wooden thing. You know, I mean, when he had, had, was winning championships every year, he said you know, we don't talk about winning. We just prepare you to play your best. We know that will win. Well, that's true. But, but that was, <laughs> had, but, but had they, uh, you know, been six and 22, I, I, I bet you even coach Wooden, who I think is the greatest coach and maybe one of the greatest men I've ever known, but, uh, but probably would have changed a little bit because I know he was super competitive. Anybody thinks otherwise is <laughs> foolish. <laughs> it was good for 18 and 19 year olds on that summer league team, but my brain was like, all right, Jordy, I'm on to you. Yeah. Okay. He's good at coach speak. Yeah. In terms of my favorite though, uh, I have one personal story with one assistant coach on the Kings. And that was Micah Nori uh, when he was oh, there. Mike, uh, yeah. Great I, guy. I really liked him. I, whenever we got to interact, like whenever like there was times where I was around the, the, the arena, stuff like that. I'd bump into him once or twice, but like the first time I ever bumped into him was after a game, I was walking back to my car and we just happened to be walking next to each other. And I like looked over and there was Mike and Nori and I had to like double take and look over again. That, that was Mike and Nori. So I looked over at him and he finally like noticed me looking at him as a 23 year old. And I was like, Oh, you're Mike and Nori. And he's like, yes, I, yes, I am. And I'm like, Oh, uh, good luck. And he's like, thanks bud. And then he jumped in his car and went away. The next day I was going somewhere and I was in Sacramento and I jumped out of my car and I pulled up my car and a guy gets out of his car and I get out of my car and I look over and it's Mike Anori. And I'm like, Oh, you're Mike Anori. And he's like, he had to like squint a little bit. to like, is this the same kid from last <laughs> night? Like, and I'm like, Oh, good luck coaching. He's like, thank, thank you. And then <laughs> went off to his day, but it just, I happened to meet him two days in a row within 12, 15 hours of each other. And I've always wondered, like, I wonder if Micah Nori thought I was stalking him. Like, I wonder if Micah Nori thought I followed him out, of, you know, out of the parking lot at the Sleep Train Arena and to some Rayleigh's the next day. And so I've always felt weird. Like, I hope Micah, like, if I wrote Micah Nori notes, like, Micah, I wasn't stalking you. He'd be like, this kid was obviously stalking me. So 
Yeah. By the way, yeah, that's a guy I should have mentioned too. By the way, that's what I want to say when you get into that. Too. But he he was really good, and and uh, that's why he's in the league. And to me, he's one of those guys. Probably will never get a chance to be a head coach, but he's a he's the kind of coach that every every head coach would love on his staff. You know, that's where you know just he's going to find a way to to help you. But yeah, there's there's quite a few more like that. I. Um, but anyway, there, there's been some really good ones passed through here. And, and, and I think, as, as Tony's pointed out, that looks like it, maybe Mike Brown's going to bring a few more. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so our friend, uh, our friend of the podcast, Josh, uh, he's also known as Extra Extra Large Popcorn. He asks, Ooh. Jerry, do you have any funny Bill Russell coaching stories? Ah, yeah, I think I do. I mean, well, there's several, but but I always remember uh, playing the Lakers one time. And this is one of the times when I just couldn't agree with Russ as much as I, I liked and admired him. But we were playing the Lakers and Willis Reed was, we were the assistants and the Lakers were just kicking the shit out of us. Uh, they scored 23, they were, you know, on a 23 straight point run. And Bill, we kept, Bill, you know, timeout well you know we need a timeout <laughs> need a timeout and and he finally got mad at me and Willis a little bit he's you know no quit talking about timeouts he, he said he said if we call a timeout it'll it'll help them more than us and I looked at Willis and he looked at me and said how is that possible <laughs> 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 and so I, I I still wondered it's like okay I probably I, I think I think Bill was just probably upset just hearing us you know us jabbering yeah call time out jesus christ we need a time out (laughs) (laughs) that's a great one okay john catterson sent us one and uh this one this one uh john has some uh, prefacing to do here so jerry i'm gonna read this whole thing to you oh okay he says, Jerry, um, I believe you know better, uh, you know basketball better than the vast majority of basketball media and probably better than a great majority of actual NBA personnel, players, coaches, scouts. I don't recall while watching you for years as a color analyst, seeing you provide viewers with breakdowns of X's and O's actions. And then he gave some examples like uh, Rip DHO, Motion Strong, or Veer. I also remember you saying you thought Doris Burke provided too much detail or something like that. So then, um, to contrast, current uh, play-by-play um, announcer Mark Jones does call out actions as they unfold. So John goes on to ask, since I believe you know all of these actions, was there a reason you didn't explain them to fans who might be interested in them? Yeah, yeah, there, there is. That's a great question. That's very, very, uh, you know, obviously knowledgeable. Uh, you know, my feeling was I, I kind of just kind of copied guys that I liked, you know, that did color a lot and and I thought um, Steve Kerr was a guy I really enjoyed and I always felt like uh, he basically tried to you know just enjoy the game along with the play-by-play follow the play-by-play guy whose job is to describe the game and then you add what you can Uh, and and then a second point is I never really liked the uh, honestly and he's a great great analyst but Hubie Brown I always thought tried to give you a coaching clinic and I always thought a lot of people a lot of fans you know you might the a super knowledgeable fans like the gentleman just asked that question would have probably liked that but I think the vast majority wouldn't and I think uh, you know and I always felt like oh well I, it's more important to 
bring make the game entertaining for as many people as you can rather than try to you know basically give a coaching clinic or try to impress people with your knowledge or whatever and uh and so you know that so that would be my reasons I, I you know it's not that and then i felt too with with working with grant he basically was a, you know, the dominant play by play. And so, you know, I, I felt that, you know, I was kind of trying to fit into a time frame. I know our producer at that time, Stephen Rose, uh, at, at, did have me do some diagramming a little bit, but in, invariably we never, it seemed like there was, you know, Grant, it was always tough to get enough time. Uh, you know, if, you, if you're going to do it, you got to do it right. You can't do it in seven seconds. And so, and so to just to talk about, you know, horns up or, uh, uh, you know, a staggered screen or something like that. Well, that's just words. It doesn't mean a lot to people unless you could show them and break it down. And so, so that, that would be my, my reason. And, you know, I, and I can't say I was right, but, but I mean, I, looking back, I'd do it again, though. I mean, I, I think, I think the, the, the bigger thing is to, to entertain the, the majority of fans, not not uh, not educate the, the small group because they don't need it. You know, it's, it's like the gentleman that asked the question. He really understands basketball. He doesn't. He, he overall he doesn't need a uh, whole lot of uh, information uh, during the game. I'm curious as to Tony's opinion on this, but I wanted to say that uh, Jerry, it's interesting. I think some of this uh, phenomena of these things being explained now on TV has to do with uh, with the internet becoming more prevalent and especially like YouTube and stuff like that, where you can scout and research. When I was a, when I was growing up, whenever Hubie Brown would be on a game and I was 12, 14, I wanted to hear Hubie Brown speak because I wanted to learn some of these terms. I wanted to see how NBA, you know, coaches draw up mm -hmm. plays, but my mom and my dad, any, any family members that we had watching that were adults, they didn't give two shits about it. It was just like, no, I, I wanted an entertaining game and this and that. And so I think it's a casual viewer versus somebody who really wanted to get in depth to the game. I would assume there's far more casual viewers than there are, you know, people that really, really, really wanted to learn the game at a deep level. And now with YouTube content being so specific, you could watch hours and hours of here's how here's every play that the Kings ran. That was a horns. Here's every play that the Kings ran. That was this. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's just part of the YouTube thing where growing up in the early two thousands, there was no internet. There was no something like that available for, for people like my age. Yeah. I, that's a great point. I, I mean, uh, I do think, uh, you know, today, and I do think that things have changed to where a lot of the analysts feel like they have to do more of that. And, and uh, it, I don't care for it. I mean, to me, often they're trying to describe something while there's two baskets being scored. Uh, you know, uh, I'd rather, to me, it's keep up with the game, you know, the game itself or, or as much as you can. Because I think most people tune in to watch a particular team. And so they want to know. It's like you're talking about a particular play or a breakdown while the other team's going the other way. It's like, you know, I got eyes. I, I want you to talk about what I'm seeing. Uh, if 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 you're not, I might as well listen to radio. Tony, what about you? Yeah, I think to your point, Will, you can find all the X's and O's basketball talk you want online right now. It's it's everywhere. It's almost there's almost too much of it to be honest. Like I would like a little more fun and entertainment in my feed than everyone trying to break down every play of every game. 
Um, I don't necessarily need that. And, and I think this comes to our earlier point about like what TV we want to watch. I kind of do want to turn my brain off a little bit when I'm watching basketball too. I grew up on Tommy Heinsohn and then uh, Jerry Reynolds. And those are two guys that just gave me a good time when I was watching basketball. And that's kind of what I'm looking for even today. And if you go, if you extend it to like what people are doing now, as far as coverage goes, I love the NBA on TNT guys. I could watch them joke around with each other for hours. The worst part of that show is when Kenny Smith goes back to the big screen and starts circling things and breaking plays down. That's what I'm going. That's what I'm changing the channel or skipping forward. I don't blame anyone else for wanting something differently. If you want X's and O's, that's cool. If that's what you're looking for. Great. If you're really locked into what you're watching, fine. But the way I watch basketball now, I'm on Twitter half the time. We're in our Kings Herald chat talking about the play that just happened. Um, I'm rewinding if I missed something. I don't necessarily need that like in the moment breaking down what play is being run. I just kind of want to enjoy the people that I'm listening to. And uh, yeah, that, so that's kind of what I'm looking for. Just give me some personalities that I have a fun time watching the game with. That's really all I need. I like it. Okay. So Daniel Schultz asks if Jerry and Tony, you as well, could go back in time and see the writing and recording of one song from initial spark of creativity all the way to the final product, what song would it be? Ooh, my gosh, that's, that's, some, that's some deep stuff there from the writing and recording of one song. Uh, well, it, for me, it, it would have to be probably more one artist and, and his you know, start of his career, and, and because I've always been a fan more than any one song, it'd be Bob Dylan. I've always, uh, I know I know he's not a great singer, but I love his stuff, and I listen, that's, you know, when I'm on my walks, if, if I need a little, if I want to do a little thinking, I, I like to put on a lot of Bob Dylan. If I want to want to get a little juice going, I might listen to the Rolling Stones, or, uh, you know, or or John Fogarty or somebody, but uh, yeah, yeah, I just, you know, he's more of a poet and, and uh, you know, he's got something to say. And uh, so like him or lump him or dump him, I don't know, but that it would probably be with Bob Dylan and his, his early career and, and what was involved in his decisions and, you know, whether he went from total folk singer to, to pop singer and, and uh, you know, he, he just basically, you know, went down his own road and you could like it or not like it. And, uh, and basically tried, tried to tell a story for the most part, not just make a lot of noise. I like it. Tony, what about you? Yeah. I don't have a good answer for this one. I was looking at this question for a while and I realized that a lot of, there's so many documentaries now and oral histories and books that they're like the curtain has been pulled back already on a lot of this stuff. And it was hard to, for me to think of something that I cared about that wasn't already kind of like revealed through one avenue or another. Like there was the Beatles documentary that kind of went through a lot of their recording process. Um, I really enjoyed, I'm not even a huge Kanye West fan, but I really enjoyed the Kanye West documentary that was on Netflix that kind of went through his come up and his recording. So I don't know, Will, I'm going to have to pass this to you. I don't have a great answer for this one. Okay. This one's tough because I, I'm fairly eclectic. I, I can listen to just about anything. I, I think that uh, the easy answer, the first answer that came to my mind was like something from the Beatles, you know, just, just, just to watch them try to try to fit everything together, like with uh, yesterday or something like that. But I think my real answer would be just, just to go off something different than what, what than what Jerry is kind of said, because Jerry's opinion was great too. 
I kind of want to go back and see Mozart compose something. There you go. Just where it's not, we're not really talking about pop music. We're not even really talking about music in the sense of like somebody singing, like we're talking about a, a true musical genius uh, and not that Kanye uh, isn't Tony, not that, you know, not that Bob <laughs> Dylan isn't, but I mean like somebody yeah. who is an absolute bananas, you know, level composer and watch from the very first moment they can get inspired by something random into writing, you know, the magic flute or something like that, where they're, they're absolutely, you know, uh, taken over and just scribbling a million miles a minute and banging things on the piano and doing whatever they do, being a complete crazy person like that, that to me, I think would be something uh, far more meaningful to me uh, than just like watching Kanye on like an 808. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, I got it. Oh, okay. All right. So that, that would be my answer. Maybe not the best answer, but Mozart. Throw, throw anything from Mozart on me. That's good. I, I have one other one I, I would say, and, and to me, it's modern. And I, I think that uh, I would love to, to see more in the background, but uh, I've been infatuated with Angelina Jordan. Uh, I, think, uh, I think she's probably the most gifted female male singer I've ever heard. And I mean, she can sing any style, whether it's, whether it's Elvis or country or, or any kind of pop. I mean, uh, Barbara Streisand, I mean, she's, I think she's one in a several billion and still what, what, 16 years old or so. And uh, so, uh, you know, her, I mean, I, I just honestly think, I don't think in my lifetime there's ever been a talent to her level. Uh, that's how good she is and so for those of you who have heard her sing bohemian rhapsody or or yellow brick road or or, or suspicious minds that uh, i mean it's breathtaking that's fascinating Jerry. I, and I my breath and my breath and i can't afford breath being taken <laughs> uh i actually just thought of one hearing uh we'll talk about the beatles um i don't know if anyone has heard the song temporary secretary by paul mccartney it is possibly the worst song of all time. And I'm just curious how this musical genius created this nightmare of a, of a piece of music. That, so I would like to know and see behind the curtain on that one. Like what, what happened here, Paul? This is a horrific music, but uh, yeah, that's my, that's my take. You're going to watch somebody do a lot of drugs. That's what, that's what, yeah. I, yeah. That's what I would encourage like listeners. If you haven't heard, like he's one of the most, uh, most musical genius geniuses that sure. I've ever had. And he put out what is honestly like the worst, like, it's, it's the worst song. It's so bad that I kind of like it. So maybe it's not that bad, but yeah, go listen to temporary secretary and, and wonder like how this genius put out this garbage, garbage song. Just remember <laughs> even Michael Jordan had a bad game now true yes yeah <laughs> okay so um um submits all the time he's 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 a he's a fan favorite over there at the king's herald uh Le Bradford has a question and it is uh what is an interesting thing about jerry that hardly anyone knows about any special hidden talents or hobbies and then he includes can be asked to tony and will as well well Le Bradford's one of my favorites too so that uh well i i think probably there's a couple things that maybe you wouldn't know. Uh, big hobby for me. I, I love watching golf. I mentioned that. I mean, it's like yesterday. I mean, I, I watched the LPGA and then of course the PGA, Roy McIlroy is a favorite of mine. And so I was excited to see him win. 
And then the Champions Tour, Steve Stricker won. I, I don't play golf, but I grew up around golf. And, and I guess one of the things that I've told before, but probably not to this group, but when I was 16 years old, 1960, the, the uh, LPGA had the uh, Women's Open at French Lake, Indiana, by the way, at the Donald Ross course at that time. And I caddied for Marlene Bauer Hagee, who was one of the top wow. players at that time. And I think she didn't finish well. Maybe it's my fault, but but uh, Mick, Mickey Wright, uh, the great Mickey Wright, won it. I think they won. She won fifteen hundred dollars, and but then, that, you know, that would be, you know, that probably, you know, hundred thousand now, but still would be not much. But anyway, so the, the love of golf, even though, like I say, they, people always say, "Why don't you play?" And I and I've told this story, and it's true. The reason I don't play golf is because my brother Jeff was really good. Went to state, ended up playing in college on the college team, a scratch golfer. And he was better than me. And I was better than him in everything except <laughs> golf. So if I couldn't, once I found out I couldn't beat him, I just quit playing. So, and I've never denied, denied being a front runner. And that was living proof right there. <laughs> but Tony, what about you? Do you have uh, anything interesting about you that hardly anyone knows about? Uh, any special hidden talents or hobbies? Yeah, it was hard for me to find something that wasn't basketball related because, I mean, this is what we're doing right now. Like my my primary hobby is certainly basketball. I don't do it professionally, but I play all the time. I used to coach. We now talk about it on a podcast. We write about it for the Kings Herald. We started the website about it. So it's hard to top that as far as hobbies go. Um, but I guess the other the other thing growing up that that I identified the most with was skateboarding. And I didn't do it. I was not very good myself, but the culture behind it, like, I had skateboarding shoes in school. I did not have basketball shoes. Uh, my favorite person on the planet uh, that isn't a basketball athlete is Rodney Mullen. Um, I'm a huge Rodney Mullen guy. Uh, I have a bunch of like skate decks that I buy, even though I don't skate very well, but I like the art on them. Most of the, my music that I listen to is kind of like from that era of, of skateboarding, that early 2000s, like late 90s skateboard culture. So that's sort of a, I guess, a side hobby if you can put basketball aside is, and, and they kind of, I don't know. They, 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 they are responsible for who I am. So if you have anything to blame, blame basketball and skateboarding. Um, let's see here. Something interesting that hardly anyone ever knows about me. I, see, here's the problem. I, being the preview writer, being the guy that has to like slog through 82 games a year, I end up never talking about basketball. I end up just like, like as soon as the Kings go on a nine game losing streak, I'm talking about the things I'm interested in. So most of most people know that like I, I'm a, a cinephile. Like I watch, I try to watch as many movies as I possibly can. I've got a subscription to everything I can. If you suggest a movie to me, I'll, I'll try to watch it or I've watched it already. Um, uh, one thing about me that I think some people don't know is I've, I've got a rather large family. Uh, I come from a family. I'm one of 12 siblings. Wow. And so I've got a, I've got seven Ooh. sisters. I've got four brothers. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 the next question is always, oh, so you're Mormon? Like, no, no, I'm, no, no, I'm not. No, actually, I'm not. But um, so I, I guess that's one thing that I come from. A, we we would have dominated the Bradys. The Brady bunch had nothing nice. on my family. Cheaper by the dozen had nothing on my family. We would have absolutely creamed them. So um, I guess that's one thing. Um, in terms of uh, special hidden talents or hobbies. Uh, I'm a I'm a voracious reader. I, I I write, you know, fiction and nonfiction outside of my basketball stuff. I don't I don't share it that often, 
but but I certainly do that kind of stuff. Um, I don't have, I literally don't have any hidden talents. I, w- I won a talent show in fifth grade. And I sang, I believe I could fly nice. and, and absolutely crushed it. But outside of that, what you guys see is what you guys get with me, unfortunately. Well, that's good enough. <laughs> yeah. The talent yeah, part. Yeah. yeah. The talent part was hard. It made me kind of sad. Like I, I spent a good seven yeah. minutes trying to think of what I'm talented in. And I couldn't yeah. anything. It was is that good. part of getting old is just like, Oh wait, I don't have yeah. any hidden anything. It's all out there yeah. and it's all boring. Well, I was going to say one yeah. thing. I always remember that, uh, I've tried to hide for the most part, but I uh, I was a lead in the first musical in uh, Springs Valley High School history, and uh, I played Mr. Crane of Mr. Crane of Sleepy Hollow, and I had a few and I had a few singing oh, parts, nice. and uh, of course, uh, and and I, I don't know, I, it it was uh, well, you know, I was talked into doing it because they thought it'd help draw crowds and everything, and uh, so. But anyway, I did it. So if I got through it, I, I probably wasn't the worst lead ever, but I sure wasn't. I'm pretty sure I wasn't the best. <laughs> That's tough. Jerry, would, is there any chance at all? I know this is a while ago. Is there any chance at all somebody recorded that? I know film was probably pretty expensive. I can't imagine point, but... it. The only thing, I, I think the only thing I, I know that I've recorded sort of singing, I did Dodge commercials for Chuck Swift for years. And I'm, I remember when okay. they had the Dodge Shadow. That I had, they had me, me okay. and my shadow, you know, <laughs> and I point point to the car, you know. So, uh, you know, it, it uh, created because uh, I, you know, at that time this was thirty some years ago, but people, I'd, I'd you know, see them and they'd, and they'd, oh, there's me and my shadow. You know, they'd sing it back to me. <laughs> so the humiliation went on for quite a while. Yeah 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 <laughs> okay so we got another one from john catterson uh he wrote this um uh this is actually a basketball question so we can we can put our serious faces on for a second here um do the kings presently have a rotation quality small forward uh related question is barnes really a small forward and then he wrote related facts chima is a 26 year old rookie casey okapala played 63 games over three years uh before being traded so do we have a rotation quality small forward and is Barnes really a small forward? Well, I think we do. And, and I think Barnes is it now. And that's a fair question because I think as the game has changed, I mean, obviously Barnes, you can play when he came to the league, you wouldn't have thought in terms that he could ever be a, a power forward, but as the game has changed and, and teams go smaller, obviously he's very comfortable with that as well. Uh, but, but I think that's, you know, yeah, to answer your question, yeah, he's a, he can play small forward at a pretty high level. Is he uh, one of the top five in the in, in the league? Of course not. But uh, he's, you know, I, I think he's above middle of the pack at that position. Yeah. And then you put him at power forward, I would say probably he would be about middle of the pack or lower. So, you know, I mean, to me, that's why he's a really good player. Uh, is he, you know, would you like to get somebody better than Harrison at Smallport? Yes, we've talked about that. And who would it be and how would you do it? And, and then again, uh, why, why would you do it? Because uh, you, you've probably got some guys that can play four for you now. And, uh, and so, I mean, who you got better at Smallport than, than Harrison is? And my answer would be nobody. 
I, I think I think I'll even include like uh, Kevin Her- uh, Kevin Herter could could play small forward. It's, he's got he certainly oh, got yeah. the length at six seven to play it. He, he's a little thin, but but between Harrison Barnes, if you could combine Harrison Barnes and Kevin Herter together and just make a third player, they'd be perfect right there in the middle. But you know, I think Herter is going to be able to play small forward this year for the Kings. Yeah, you can you can do that, and like I say, that's a great point. I mean, that's in today's game, not only can you play Harrison four, but you can play Herder at three. I mean, uh, you could play, you know, when, when Bogey was here, you could play him at three. That's it. Yeah. And, and certainly, you know, you see that with, uh, you know, uh, Clay Thompson is playing mostly three now. Uh, yeah. And, you know, a few years ago, you would have thought that he wouldn't play there, but uh, yeah, no, I, it's, it's, it's fair. I mean, like I say, the, the, the problem, the problem with Harrison is he's just, he isn't, uh, you know, a, a five-time all-star and we'd all like to have one. And, uh, and so, but boy, but I, I could say, I mean, he's, I don't know how many small forwards we've had over the history of the Kings better than him, uh, you know, Pager, uh, but I don't know. Rudy <laughs> Gay. I don't. I don't know that he was. To be honest with you, I, I, I mean, I think when you look at the totality of, of uh, what they do, I, I, I think I might uh, take Harrison uh, myself. But, but yeah, it's it's the uh, it's the question, and uh, it's very fair because. But you could you could ask the same question probably uh, about just about every position because. Uh, you know, well, so bonus is really good, but then there's, is he one of the three or four best uh, power guys in the league? Well, probably not, but he's certainly closer to the top than the bottom. And how do you get somebody better than him? He's the best Kings have had since Weber, in my opinion. So, uh, so, you know, there's that. So anyway, yeah, it's, I don't know. I, I, as a Kings fan, which is all I am anymore, I, I, I just think Harrison's the least I, I worry about him about the least if things don't go well he's got a lot of value you can always trade him uh, oh, you know and so and you can get something good for him but until you but just to move him to be moving him because he's not good at not what you think he is uh, you know I always said I mean hey you might go get John Collins that doesn't mean it, that you improved you're just different yeah absolutely Okay, we've got two more, Jerry. Um, one of them is um, with uh, with the demolition of Arco Arena in progress. This was asked by uh, A Rod. Um, what were Jerry's favorite and least favorite arenas you can do either retired or in current use to visit for any particular reason, be it atmosphere, building design, location, history, city, etc. And how does Golden One Center stack up? Well, I'd say this: Golden One is certainly stacks up near near the top uh, as far as beauty and 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 functionality and and class it, it's right there i mean i wouldn't i'd put it right at the very top now having said that i i would still just as far as atmosphere i prefer arco <laughs> you know once you yeah. once your butt's in the seats and the game has started i i don't think you can beat the atmosphere in arco uh, the the you're closer to the action the wood floors i mean you 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 know like I say, just your butts in the seats and you want to watch a ball game. Uh, it's hard to beat. And uh, 
I put Utah in that category. Uh, you know, their arenas are very similar, except better made. <laughs> than, <laughs> and uh, the Indianapolis, uh, the Pacers arena. I mean, it's a great atmosphere uh, for it. You know, Madison Square Garden, it really is, it really is uh, something special. I, I, I guess uh, I love the old Boston Garden. I mean, it's a crappy place, yeah. but, uh, you know, but we're talking basketball, playing the game and watching the game. And it was uh, uh, just a, a neat experience, you know. And uh, uh, so as far as uh, kind of the newer ones, uh, I've never liked Staples. I'll be honest, it's too big. You know, I mean, yes. it, it's, it's, a, it's a, but it's just too big for, for basketball. You don't you really get the atmosphere there. Uh, like you'd like. I always thought, uh, you know, I never cared for San Antonio's out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, you know, Dallas, uh, you know, Dallas is too much like some others, you know, uh, Miami Heat, kind of the same thing. Uh, a little, you know, so I'm trying to think of ones I, I just didn't like going to. Uh, have you been to the new Brooklyn one, Jerry? Yeah, yeah. I don't care for it. Uh, kind of overrated. You know, it's uh, hard to get into, and space is a problem, as as ever. You know, in New York and all. So, uh, for the money, it, to me, it doesn't compare with Golden One at all. Yeah. You know, but that's just my feeling. I, I mean, uh, Chicago Arena is very nice, bad location, but but it's uh, beautiful. Of course, the old Chicago Stadium was was crazy you know it was crazy you know but uh so anyway i, I think king's fans so i'll just finish on this is that you know arco won the original little building it was no place had their atmosphere that place did that was uh i mean i'll never live to see something like that but then arco two come pretty close for a bigger building i mean uh, credit to lucaville and, and like say just uh and certainly I understand the need for Golden One and did a marvelous job, but I'll just stay with my original statement. Uh, if you wanted to go to a basketball game and you once you got through the concourse, if you made it alive uh, and got to your seat, got your beer, and uh, you're ready for a basketball game, uh, man, it was a, and you saw, and there's a couple of good teams out there playing at a high level. I, I don't think you could beat that. No, I, I agree with that one. Tony, what about you? Yeah, I haven't been to a whole lot of arenas outside of, you know, the Boston area. I've been to all of these ones. And then I went to Golden One Center one time. And I don't know. I mean, I came away from Golden One being very happy with what they did there. I thought that was a really cool, unique arena with its own kind of perks. And I don't know that I would probably put that as my favorite arena I've been to. But you got to remember that the like the the list there is not very long. Yeah, I would say the only other arena I've been to was uh, the, the arena formerly known as the Staples Center. And I enjoyed my time there because the Lakers got the break speed off of them by 30 points. And so it was one of those things that seeing, seeing, seeing coked up supermodels, not knowing the <laughs> score, walking away three quarters in and, and seeing fans that, that they would, they would literally kill somebody for the Los Angeles Lakers leaving early, watching all these people not understanding how the Timberwolves of all teams were bushwhacking them by 30 points. It was a pretty, it was a, it was one of those experiences like, I hate this team, but this feels pretty good right now. I've had one good experience in Staples Center. Didn't have any of the food, didn't have any of the drinks, didn't get in any fights or anything else like that. But 
I I just watched everybody else fight and I watched everybody else throw a big huff over Lakers losing. And so I had perfectly, I mean, for a Kings fan in Staples Center, that's the best time I could have had. So thanks a lot, LA. I appreciated that one. Okay. So Jerry, I want to see if I can share my screen real quick because uh, we have a, we have a picture presentation for you. Oh, oh wow. Tony, is there any way that I can, uh, I can get the screen sharing? Oh, can I talk to approve? You might. Uh, yeah. If not, I can send it to you real quick. Try that maybe. Let's see. And here we go. Oh, yeah. That was, <laughs> yeah, Jerry. <laughs> that was, a, I just want you to explain this picture to me if you can. Yeah, I can. Uh, that was from Sports Illustrated. Uh, I don't know what year, maybe about 92, 93, something like that. And uh, yeah, I always remember we took, I, I think, as you can see the sweat on me there, we worked pretty hard to get yeah. that shot. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 there was a time when I could play pretty good, uh, by the way. Uh, and that's, this was about the time. This is about the time it's starting to slide downhill for me. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, yeah, the, the cameraman, you know, he got several angles and he, he was said, trying to get some trick shot, whatever. So, yeah, I, re I remember that well, I, I think, because I think we spent, you know, 45 minutes to an hour, you know how they are to get so many different shots. And uh, this is the one they chose, which shows my amazing hand-eye coordination. Yes. Was this set up to look this way or did you actually, was this an actual shot that you put over the net? Well, I put it over the net, buddy. <laughs> no, 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 I could, uh, I could, I could play a little bit. I could play a little bit. Yeah. Now it's mentioned in this article that you broke your wrist playing tennis over that summer. Yeah. How did that happen? Well, I, I was, I was, I was playing Marty McNeil used to be the uh, beat writer for oh, the yeah. Kings and, and he was pretty yeah. good, pretty good player too. I, I could pretty much beat him, although he, he, he should have been better than me, but I just keep focused better. You know, he tried to make shots he couldn't, and I, I made shots I could. But anyway, he, he, he tried to put a drop shot on me, and I thought I could get to it. And I landed on my wrist and, and broke it. But I, <laughs> but I, 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 I did finish, and I finished it because I didn't know it broke. I, I knew it's hurting. <laughs> but I did finish the, the match and beat his butt, by the way. And uh, so, <laughs> so anyway, so uh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that was. Uh, that was kind of when the injury started happening to me and about that age. That's why I think it's about four or five years later that I just, I was pulling muscles every time. And, you know, my wife was saying, sure. said, Jerry, you know, so you go play tennis then you're hurt for three days. Then you play tennis and you're hurt for three days. Is that a, <laughs> is that a good plan? I said, you know, I'll find a dawn. I said, no, it really isn't. I've got to come up with something <laughs> that I can work out without getting hurt. And so that's kind of when the walking started on a regular basis. I just want to read the end of this article here because it's it's one of my favorite Jerry things I've read in a while. And this was shared by Le Bradford, I believe. So thank you for that, Le Bradford. Um, it says, uh, there is a feeling that if 1993 first-round pick Bobby Hurley fizzles and the Kings don't improve upon last season's 25-57 and 57 record, Reynolds' charmed life with the Kings will be in jeopardy, even with his new contract. But Reynolds is optimistic. A friend from his hometown, actually Reynolds is from Hillham, a small town outside French yeah, Lake. suburb. Recent, <laughs> it's a suburb of French Lake. Recently told, uh, recently told him how glad he was that success hadn't gone to Reynolds' head, replied Reynolds, that's because I haven't had any success yet. But when I do, I plan to get egotistical as all get out. <laughs> yeah, that would, uh, yeah, well, that's true. And uh, yeah, that was, uh, I always remember that 
the deal too, they talked about the contract because the owner at that time, Jim Thomas, uh, we drafted, uh, I think Walt Williams the year before and, uh, and he had a really good rookie year and he'd won the, basically really argued, uh, uh, to draft, uh, uh, God, baby Jordan, what was his name? Uh, minor Harold minor. And I said, you know, you know, I, you know, I just don't think so. I said, you know, I, I'm convinced that Walt Williams is going to be way better than him. And of course he was. And so, so they decided to give me a new contract. And then he announced in the paper as a multi-year deal. Well, it wasn't as a one-year deal. And, uh, <laughs> and then and I got in trouble with him because I, because the paper, the, somebody in the new, uh, Marty or somebody asked me about it. And I said, yeah, well, I said, it's a multi-day contract. It's not a multi-year. <laughs> and so, and, and, and the owner got a little pissed at me for telling the truth, actually. <laughs> uh, that's great. <laughs> okay, so last question. Um, Sean asks, uh, how close were the Kings uh, to bringing uh, Dejan uh, Bodoroga over to the NBA? What are Jerry's thoughts on the Kings roster if they had both Peja and uh, Dejan? Uh, Luca said he models his uh, play style after Bodoroga. You know, Jeff uh, Petrie really, I mean, really wanted to bring him over and tried very hard. Uh, but Bodoroga was uh, making so much money over there and was kind of comfortable in his lifestyle. You know, it's one of those deals to where he was, a, you know, a, a national hero. And, uh, sure. and uh, to answer your question, if he had came over, he was good. I mean, uh, he was good. Uh, and so... How much better would the Kings have been? I don't know how much better, but, uh, you know, he was uh, probably a little better version of, um, of Bogdan Bogdanovich. I mean, I think uh, certainly a better playmaking version for sure, more of a natural wow. playmaker. So, yeah, uh, what that would have done for the Kings or what, what would affect future trades and all that. But, uh, yeah, I know Jeff really liked him and really tried tried. Uh, you know, to get him over and just uh, one of those deals to where the money available or what he was making, it just never worked for some reason. It's too bad. Absolutely. Well, Jerry, that we, uh, Tony, we, we exhausted all your Patreon questions today. Right. So we're going to roll right over to you, Jerry, for the, uh, for the Reynolds wrap up for this week. Yeah. I, <laughs> it was kind of funny. I, I saw a thing the other day and it was a stat and I just want to share this with you because I think it's important to all of us. There's a stat that says that, one out of four people has some sort of mental issue. And so the suggestion was, uh, make sure you uh, talk to your three best friends and, and decide if they're okay, because if they are, it might be you. So, uh, so I just, I was thinking about that and I was thinking, damn, I'm, I'm pretty sure it might be me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's why we don't have very many guests on the show, Jerry, because that would give us a fourth person, and then yeah, that all of us would have to be yeah. questioning the whole time. Way too much, the crazy one. Too much pressure. Too much <laughs> yeah, pressure. Too... <laughs> uh, well, that'll do us. Uh, uh, for here at uh, the Kings Herald, I want to appreciate you guys uh, tuning in for another episode. Uh, thanks for sticking around during the summer. Uh, I hope you guys are having as much fun as we are uh, answering all these questions from the fans. It, it, I really do think it, it it brings something extra to be able to to talk to Jerry about 
about what what song he wants to uh, go back in time and see created and what his favorite I would have never known Jerry was a Sopranos fan and now I can quote the Sopranos to Jerry anytime I want to oh yeah well I tell you I love this show I mean really I, I, I love the questions I, I know I didn't answer them as well as I probably could if I had preparation for it but uh, you know or or satisfied you but man anything you guys want to ask me it's a real honor to get a you know talk a little basketball because uh and, and looking forward to the season and, and and equally important as as the nba preseason it's nfl buddy there we go <laughs> yeah so uh so it's all good times ahead that's right we'll see the return of uh talking about any team but the kings as soon as the nfl season starts that way you guys can get all your nfl takes out and i and i can i can learn something about the nfl because i don't watch on a regular basis so We'll be good to go. I appreciate you guys, uh, and we all appreciate you guys sticking around through the uh, the dog days of summer. Good times are ahead for the Sacramento Kings, uh, for the Kings Herald podcast, and uh, and for the website in general. So uh, thanks again, and we will see you guys in two weeks.